Today, uh, we're jumping back into our series on the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, But I want to start with a question and just ask, uh, when was the last wedding you attended? I mean, you don't have to tell me the date or anything, but, you know, think in your mind, like, where was it? Who was getting married? How close were you to the bride and groom? Who did you know? Uh, How did that happen? How did it work? Uh, Our whole family got to attend a wedding last month. Uh, Sherry was in it. She got to be uh, a bridesmaid, uh, one of her friend's uh, colleague from work and from our last church, cut several connections, uh, was getting married and we got to celebrate. Oh yeah, she babysat our kids. There's a lot of like, uh, like part of it, you know? A um, lot of fun. Uh, do you remember at the wedding you went to uh, what they said? Uh, in particular, like the, the vows. Like, you know, so the, the traditional vows that we have, uh, I looked it up. Wikipedia told me it was like, it's like over 500 years old. The whole have and hold, sickness and in health, rich or poor, you know, till death do us part. That those, those lines are, are part of marriage services, you know, over 500 years ago. Uh, but some people uh, will write their own vows to make them more personalized, uh, to, to say something that, that's more significant to them, uh, more s- uh, specific to the relationship uh, that they're creating between this new marriage, uh, husband and wife. Uh, one of the weddings that we went to, I can't remember. I, I mean, I was watching the boys. Sherry was standing up, so I wasn't really paying much attention you know, to what they were saying. But I remember one wedding I attended with Sherry. Uh, one of the vows that they had written I think like the bride said something like, I will always use my car or something. It was like a promise, but to herself. And it was, it was kind of funny. And it was meant to lighten the mood. You know, it's like a very solemn service. You know, here we're making these vows, you know, and then there's kind of this humorous thing like, ah, we all know that I, I really enjoy this. But people add that for, for vows to make it more, uh, more personal. Uh, why do we say vows in general for weddings? Like, why is that a part of our wedding service? Why do we feel the need, you know, when we're getting married to say I promise to have and to hold you, you know, sickness and health, richer for poor, till death do us part. Like, like, why do we feel we need to be making these promises to each other? It's part of tradition, but I mean, it's serious. We mean them. We actually, like, like we, these are promises we're making to the other person, and, and, and that these will dictate going forward into our relationship, but, but they're not a description of what it's going to be, right? It's not a rule book. We aren't, you're not writing out a contract, right? And then I will always get up at this time and I'll make dinner, you know, 20 of the 30 days in a month or whatever it is. You know, it's, it's more, uh, more poetic, you know? It's kind of, you know, for richer or for poor, sickness and health, having to hold, you know, it's like, okay, we're, we're talking about just kind of what the nature of the relationship will be. Like to have and to hold, right? That doesn't mean that, that you'll never let go. <laughs> you know, like, like always, oh, this is, this is going to be who we are. So, well, no. Uh, but it does mean you'll hold them, you know, at some point. But it, it means you'll take care of them. You'll be there for them. Your physical presence, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll provide for their emotional needs. Like, like the vows themselves are, are, are symbolizing this attitude, this posture that's going to set the tone, the foundation for this relationship going forward. Uh, it's not the specific, this is what it's going to look like. This is what I'm agreeing to in this relationship. Not like a contract. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, kind of like vows, uh, but it's the Ten Commandments. <laughs> uh, we're, we're going through Deuteronomy. We're in week three of our series. Uh, the first week we saw how it was God's faithfulness and his act of salvation uh, that even creates this people group of Israel that he's talking to with the law. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, the second week, we learned about God's covenants with humanity where he chooses to partner with humans 
in relationship in order to bring everything back to his original creation. Or we could say move forward to the new heaven and the new earth. That's what God's design is, and that's what the law in Deuteronomy is focused on. We're finally going to get to the law. You know, we've talked about reasons and history for the law. We're going to actually get to law, which is what you guys were all waiting for. You know, I mean, who doesn't want to read Old Testament law, right? But I think before... But before we jump into the Ten Commandments or any rest of the law, I want us to understand the place that it held, and I want us to think about the Ten Commandments more like wedding vows and less like a rule book, less like here's a contract, you're going to do this, and I want it for you, more of the wedding vows, where this is almost a poetic understanding of an inner posture and attitude that will dictate the terms of this relationship, in particular, God's people, the Israelites, toward God. That will help us understand the Ten Commandments. Uh, are you supposed to follow the Ten Commandments? Yeah, absolutely. Just like you're supposed to follow your vows. But, but it's more of painting a picture of what this relationship is supposed to look like. We're going to be in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy. Um, before we get there, I do have a piece of trivia. Um, well, literal trivia. Did you, who, who watched that Friday video where I did trivia? There were only two of you that even made your answers. Thank you, Levi and Nancy. Thank you. Um, We'll give out prizes later. <laughs> Something. No, but, but I said, what was the eighth commandment? Now, did you know there's two lists of the Ten Commandments running around the United States right now? Like, like two different lists where the Eighth Commandment is something different. Like if you see them printed off like in like a Christian school or something, that there might be a different list. I didn't know this. I didn't know this. But uh, essentially, uh, some people group the first two commandments together, and some people group the last two together. And depending on which one you pick, you have 10 one way or the other way. It, it all co- Fascinating stuff. It all goes back to like the Reformation, again, like 500 years ago when the Protestant church churches split from the Catholic church. Uh, Catholics tend to combine uh, what the Bible that I'm reading and our Protestant tradition would, would say the first two are. They combine that into one and then they split the last one. So next time someone says, what's the eighth commandment? Be like, Catholic or Protestant? You know, and they'll be like, what? It's like Monty Python where he asks about the European or African swallows. You know what I'm saying? I have very limited pop culture references. I got to get back on track. Okay, why is this, why is this important uh, about whether there's 10 commandments? Uh, to me, the question is, why are these 10 commandments singled out? Why not 11, right? Why not nine? Like, why do we have to combine them? Uh, are they more important? Does God care more about these than the rest of the law or the rest of the things in the Bible that it tells us to do? Why are they so important? Uh, The answer to that is because the Bible itself treats them as important things, gives them the title of 10 commandments, uh, more like 10 words or 10 statements if you kind of want a more direct translation. But the Bible gives a title to these 10 things, and it really is the uh, the, the tablets, you know, that Moses had, like, he, he, I don't know, the Ten Commandments movie. That was before, not 500 years old, but close. Um, you know, but it's written on them. You know, where it was a special thing. You look in the New Testament and, and the Ten Commandments are referred to a lot as this representative role of God's promise, his covenant, and also this relationship that God had with his people. So the Ten Commandments are very much worth studying. Um, They're very much worth understanding. And also they're representative of so much more than just simply, hey, do this, do this, do this. Actually, there's uh, eight don't do this and two do this. Let's just read the text. How about that? Long enough introduction. Yeah, yeah, at this rate, we're going to get done at one. All right, I'm going to read the first 15 verses of Deuteronomy chapter 5. 
Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to to you the word of the Lord because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. We'll set it down for now, and we'll come back and do the rest of the Ten Commandments next week. Uh, I stopped it there after four. There's uh, sort of a natural break. Uh, the first three kind of four commands deal with our vertical relationship between us and God, or more specifically, the Israelites and God. Uh, the other six commandments are more horizontal. It's how do we interact with each other. Uh, the Sabbath one is kind of both. So it's, it's kind of who, who is God to us, but also how do we interact with each other with those stipulations. Um, so that's why we're breaking it off here. Uh, we just got to go through each one and <laughs> make sure we understand it. Now, here, here's the thing. The Ten Commandments aren't some sort of secret code. It's not hidden meanings that you really have to sift through and understand. Uh, really pretty straightforward. Uh, the, these are the commands uh, just written out in my language. Just kidding. I have to turn it on for it to work. But then, uh, yes, it works. All right. So first, no other gods. Uh, no idols, no misuse of God's name, and practice the Sabbath. That's my summary of what the first four commandments are. Uh, first one is really straightforward. Uh, this is going to be an exclusive relationship uh, between the Israelites and God. All the other nations, all the other peoples, they had their own gods. They would follow all the other gods. Uh, a lot of these other gods were okay with polytheism, where you can worship other gods, just kind of whatever is necessary. God's saying, nope, not my people. The way that we're going to dictate this is this is going to be uh, just me exclusive relationship. You cannot worship any other gods. None of them are close to me. That one's straightforward. Uh, two, no idols. Uh, there's kind of two separate things that it's prohibiting here. Uh, the first one would be kind of like that first command where all the other nations have their own gods. And generally they would make some sort of man-made image to worship, whether it's uh, a massive statue at some sort of temple or altar or a little hand carving that perhaps you keep in your own house. Uh, God says, no, you cannot worship them, just me, no idols. Uh, but the other thing 
uh, that you might have caught in there as we're reading it, is he prohibits making any image even to represent him. So, so having no idols means you don't get to also make a little, hey, here's God or here's Yahweh, the almighty God, our God. Now, I've, I just want to do a little thought experiment. Why do you think people would make a little hand carving of a God to, to keep in their house, you know, or put over the fireplace or nightstand or whatever? Like, what's the appeal of doing that. It's, it, again, I, I don't think this is something we do. <laughs> so, so, okay, think back to, to, to the Israelites. What would the appeal be to creating a little image where you say, well, this is my God? I think, take time to do this. We'll have discussion later. But I think it just makes it easier, right? If you want to pray to your God, I mean, if you could just set a little thing and you bow down to it and you pray to it, right? Or if you need something from your God or you want to demonstrate that you are uh, really serious, you, you let it watch you as you pray or you, you give it money, right? Or you put things underneath the idol as a, as a sacrifice, an offering. It, it's, uh, it's simple. If you're going on a trip and you want to have uh, your God come with you, you just put it in your pocket and off you go, right? You know, it, it makes it easier because your God now can be uh, something that you can kind of move around, control, make sure it's watching you. God says, hold on, hold on, that's, that's not going to be our relationship. I'm not a pet, right? I'm not a toy. I, I am God, right? How, how do they know that he's close to them? If, if he doesn't show up, right, if they can't have little images, if there's no statue of him that they can go to on a pilgrimage, how do they know that he's near them? Because he just made that covenant with them. He promised them through his faithfulness, I will be with you. I'm going to go with you. Well, how can they be sure that, that he won't get frustrated or, or, or you know, leave? You know, and, and he said, well, here's the promises. We're going to enter a covenant. If you follow me in obedience, I will be with you. But I want to have a dynamic relationship with you, much more like a marriage and less like a pet or a toy, you know, that you get to dictate and just move around and do whatever you want. That's what God's forbidding when he says no idols. It's definitely not worshiping other gods, but it's also like, don't put me in a box, you can't, you can't, how could I be contained, right? This is God speaking. How could I be contained in something that your hand made? My hand made you, <laughs> you know? Like, I, like even, to, I mean, you can read back in chapter four. He talks, you didn't see an image when I appeared to you in the, in the mountain. It was thunder, it was lightning, it was fire. You were afraid of it. Moses is even saying, I had to mediate. You know, you didn't even want to see me. You didn't even want to be close. Don't, don't try to put me in a little figurine that you can hold close. It's a lot less dangerous. No, remember who I am. All right, number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord, God's name, or you shouldn't take the Lord's name in vain. That's another translation you guys might have heard. Uh, a lot of people want to just say, okay, this means don't curse, right? Keep your, keep your words clean, but it uh, doesn't specify uh, how you're supposed to not misuse his name. Uh, so therefore, it's open to everything. Anything that we're going to label or use as God's name, uh, make sure we're actually referring back to God. Um, do you remember the purpose of this nation? It was supposed to show the rest of the world how wise this people was to have a God that lives so close to them. This is chapter four at the beginning. And so if they're going to just use God's name and misrepresent him, that's going to ruin their purpose, you know, because then people won't be able to see who God is. They'll just see whatever you're doing. So be very careful about what you do in terms of <coughs> saying God's name. All right, and then the last one, the Sabbath. This is the fun one. It's got the longest explanation behind it, uh, the greatest rationale for why you should do the Sabbath. Um, and another interesting note, 
Uh, This is the second time we see the Ten Commandments in the Bible. In Exodus chapter 20, that's right when they received it. It's written down. And now here is the speech. Remember I said, uh, it's like three weeks ago now. Uh, This is like Moses' graduation farewell speech. He's repeating what he's already told them. Uh, So it's here, the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Also in Exodus 20, uh, Moses gives a different rationale for why they should do the Sabbath here than he did in Exodus. Uh, another fun, fascinating homework assignment if you're interested. But, but the emphasis here in Deuteronomy is very much about who you were. You were a people enslaved in Egypt. God brought you out of that. Therefore, practice the Sabbath. What he's saying is you used to work nonstop without any sort of breaks, and I saved you from that. Don't go back there, right? Don't, don't get so in front of yourself that you are working yourself to death. No, no, no. I gave you a break. I gave you rest. Remember that. That's what I have done for you. One day a week, rest. Also, what's the ultimate purpose of God's covenants? Where's he taking the world? Well, it's back to the garden or forward to the new heaven and the new earth where there's rest, where there's peace. It's not just, hey, remember where you came from, but it's also, hey, remember where you're going. Remember where I'm taking you. This is a spiritual practice that he's inviting the Israelites to remember so that they don't go off and do their own thing. Sure, it's going to be hard. There's going to be lots of things to do, uh, people to conquer and fields to grow and uh, you know, families to take care of. But, but every week within, within your regular rhythms of life, remember where you're from, what I did for you, and remember where I'm taking you. We're going to do that by doing the Sabbath. I mean, and the Sabbath itself Oh man, I even thought, made a note, this would be a great series for next year, the Sabbath. I mean, there's so much here that we could talk about. Um, it's a rest. It's, it's not even a symbol. It's not, okay, I'll go to church and gather. It's, it's a rest. It's a rest from work. That's what he's talking about here. Uh, it's, it's a holy day, just like we're talking about how God is holy. Keep this day holy. All in all, we've got these four uh, commands, the first commandments that we're looking at. You know, so no other gods, no idols, no misuse of God's name, and practice the Sabbath. Uh, what holds these all together? What is the, the if we're saying these are wedding vows, what, what describes the relationship that these are promising to? I think the summary, or I think what it's going at is, is we're trying to see God as being great, as, as, as being bigger. Than, than what we're saying, right? So no other gods. Look, there's no one that's even like God. Like there, there's not even an alternative. Don't, don't even think about, you know, adding another God as if there's someone else on his level. No, God's far above. No idols. Don't shrink him down into something that you can fit into your pocket. No, God is God. Don't misuse God's name. You know, he has a holy, you, you don't own God. He owns himself. He owns you. So don't just start saying what you want about him if it's not going to be true. Same thing with practicing Sabbath. Remember who God is. Remember where he's taking us. All these commands want to make sure that our life reflects how big and great and praiseworthy God is. I'd summarize these four commands like, not that, this. Oh, I missed the whole point, guys. Okay, there was a good question. I knew I was going to do this because in practice I skipped it. And I was like, oh, and I got to go back. All right, th- this is the part that I, that, I wanted to, that I wanted to cover. After the idols, there's this part where it says, I, I mean, oh, this is the next slide. That's why I remembered it. Let's read it. All right, the Lord your God, uh, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, 
but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. I did want to make a note of this because as you listen to this, you're like, yeah, what? <laughs> you know, like that feels unfair for one. That also doesn't sound like God. This is, this is a massive threat. Hey, don't do it or else, you know, and not just you, your kids, right? You know, and it, it just doesn't fit with who we say God is. And in fact, later on in the law itself, it contradicts what God is going to say. Here, this is Deuteronomy 24, 16. It says, parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. Uh, put kind of a negative way. Uh, but, but what it's saying is that there's none of this intergenerational destruction, right? So it's like if, if your parents messed up, you don't have to pay for that. And yet over here in the Ten Commandments, he says, uh, punishing, no, is it punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. What gives? What, right? Like, I don't know about you, but when I read this, it's like, well, highlight that part. Let's go back to that later. Uh, most interpreters understand what's being, what's being said here in this uh, threat at the end for, for, hey, make sure you obey, uh, is more artistic, more poetic. The third and fourth generation uh, would be uh, everyone living in a household. You know, just think about it. If you, if you grow up and you stay in the same house, don't move away like our culture does. Uh, you'd have three, maybe four generations all living together. What they think is the, the literary device God is using is essentially saying, hey, if you're going to worship an idol, it's not just going to affect you. It's going to affect your whole household. You know, religious devotion is going to be influenced by whoever's in charge. You know, what, and, and most of these commandments are, are speaking to the head of household. There's a couple other hints, you know, especially like with um, like the Sabbath, where it's, you know, like let, let your male and female servants, your donkeys, and everything. It's, it's the, the owner, right? You're talking to whoever the head of the household is, is receiving these commands. So, all right, if you, if you want to worship idols, it's going to affect not just you, your whole family, everyone living with you. Religious devotion is heavily influenced by your close family who's around you is what he's saying. And then, then the flip side, say, saying the, the love to a thousand generations for those who love me and keep my commandments, uh, that's definitely hyperbole. Uh, God doesn't keep track of okay, 998, 999. You know, he's saying, I, I, I much more want to love you than punish you. Yes, if you follow idols, you will not receive blessing, your whole family, but, but I would much rather bless. I have much more love than I have anger or discipline. It's not balanced out. Well, you get the one or the other. No, no, no. I'm abounding in love. But if you want to bring this on you, ah, just know it's your whole family. It's not just you. You have a responsibility here. That's what he's doing here with these words. That's how we can understand uh, what these threats are supposed to mean. Uh, Again, it's not a contract. All right, well, if you back out now, then I'm pulling this. This clause comes into play. Uh, This is more the wedding vows where he's trying to say, this is what the, the relationship is going to be dictated together. And overall, now I'll get back to that point I was making about the summary. It's don't let yourself think less of God. That's what he's saying here with these, these four commands are don't let yourself think less of God. These are actions. These are behaviors, right? It's not, he's not just saying don't think less of God. He's saying don't follow other gods. No idols. Don't misuse the name. In, incorporate this weekly practice Why? So that you will remember who God is and have proper understanding of how great he is, praiseworthy, how holy he is, how different he is from everything else. Don't let yourself think less of him. Don't take any shortcuts. That's how I think God wants to uh, set the rules for his people, the Israelites, 
to work with him, to be in relationship with him, to be in the covenant, to be partners with him. Uh, Big question. Okay, I understand that. I'm also not that. (laughs) I'm not the Israelites, right? Does God still want to relate to me in the same way? And these commandments, uh, the big question that I think, yeah, I bet we'd answer differently. Do we have to follow the commandments still today? I don't know, right? Well, let's see. When you look in the, yeah, you like that suspense? That would have been like a commercial break right there. You know, if we were doing like a, a series, you know, come back and find out. No, no. The, the Bible uh, is clear that that was just for these people, and yet it doesn't forget about them. The New Testament, Jesus talks a lot about the Ten Commandments. In his famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he actually quotes to the commandments doesn't invalidate them, but rather builds off of them and, and, and describes more about the relationship that if these were the vows, that they would be more like a, like a wedding advice book or something. You know, Jesus' teaching adds greater depth and insight to what the commandments were pointing to. He doesn't say, oh yeah, yeah, set the commandments aside. Here's the new way to relate to God. He says, well, well no, this was actually describing the right relationship, uh, but, but let me give you a little more help on what that's supposed to look like. Uh, there was a man that came up to him one time and asked, uh, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, come, it's here, come. Well, what, what must I do to inherit it? Jesus said, well, you know what, what the Old Testament says, what the law says. And he quotes several of the, of the Ten Commandments. The man says, well, I've done all of those. And Jesus didn't say, great, you're in. No, he said, well, there's more, right? It's not just the Ten Commandments or this is exactly what you have to do and nothing else. It's, no, no, no. This was trying to set up a certain posture, a certain attitude of how we're to, to relate to God. But let me help you here. And so Jesus' teaching says, here's what the relationship is supposed to look like further than the Ten Commandments. Uh, what we have in the Bible to answer, should we still follow them, is, well, yeah, we're going to have to, uh, but also further, <laughs> like the actual relationship that it represents. Uh, I don't want us to think the Ten Commandments are some sort of check, checklist where if we, can, if we can do these right, then we can have security. We can have assurance that God will save us. No, no, that's never what it was. These, these are the vows of how we're to have a relationship committed to God. And so when we read the Ten Commandments, it's helpful for us to understand what does this relationship look like? How are we supposed to relate to God? And then what do I have to do in my life? Because maybe that that whole thing about um, making idols, like, great, I don't have any idols, check, (laughs) you know? And it's like, well, what was the the thought? What was the posture? What was the attitude behind that? That's where we need to be. Uh, This isn't a checklist. Uh, Don't think of it like a contract, like God will be proud of me as long as I'm doing all of these. Uh, It doesn't work like that. He's already saved these people. He just says, this is what it looks like to walk with me. So now I want, to, I want to go back through them and try to practice that application piece. What might this look like for us? So no other gods. Uh, again, straightforward. Uh, no one else. Exclusive relationship. Uh, Jesus, following him has to be your primary identity if you're going to be a Christian. Uh, there's no room for uh, just trying it out and trying something else out. Uh, not, not in God's eyes, right? The world says, yeah, just take a little of this religion, take a little of that religion, and then find what works best for you. God is saying, that, that's not how it works for me. If you want to be my people, I will be your only God. You will only follow me. And so for us, it's a challenge. Primary identity, only identity, is I am a Christ follower. I follow Jesus so that I can know who God is. 
That's what it means for us. Exclusive. No idols. All right, here's a fun one. Uh, You've probably heard sermons on the Ten Commandments. You've probably heard about you aren't supposed to have idols. The way that I've always heard it applied is you have to be watching what you love. If there's anything you love more than you love God, that perhaps is an idol that you're worshiping and you need to toss on the side. Um, I think that's valid. You, you definitely need to be watching your loves. But I want to apply it from that other way that I was talking about. If idols represent an attempt by us to make God smaller and more in our control, what are we doing that make God smaller, make him a pocket-sized God? Are there any practices that we're doing, even in our worship of God, that inadvertently make him smaller, more controllable, more tame, uh, less almighty God? I think, yeah, <laughs> like all the time. And, and, and here's the part that I want us to wrestle with, because I think this is probably the one uh, that God would most have us move. Uh, it might be different for each person, and I might step on toes, so here it comes. Maybe it's in your prayer life, how you pray to God. If you're too casual with God, if you talk to him like you talk to a buddy, perhaps you are making him smaller so he's more easy to talk to and he's less scary of a God. Maybe, maybe. Um, maybe it's our casual attitudes when we come to church, right? Or when we uh, want to worship him, you know, or when we're reading the Bible. Uh, we don't actually want to take the time to recognize we're entering into God's presence. We'd rather just sing some songs, pray that. I don't do that when I worship, um, but, but, but some people do, I guess. You know, but are we just doing that for ourselves, for a feeling, and we're not actually recognizing that there's a God that we're worshiping? That might be making him smaller. Um, even when we preach, right? Here, let's put, let's put myself, let's get my toes to get stepped on right? Maybe I put him in a box and say, well, we've got to get out of here on a certain time. So it's got to be this, this, and this. God, you've got to fit into my little portion. I have perhaps inadvertently made God be smaller than he is. Maybe it's in when you go to God to pray. You only go when you need something, right? And then when you're done with him, you put him back on the shelf and go about your day when things are good, only to pick him back up when there's another tragedy or some big event is happening and you need his direction. That would inadvertently make him smaller and treat him as if he's an idol that you can just pick up and set down and don't need you up, oh, turn, look the other way, not now. You know, it's like, how can our practices recognize that God is God, big God? When he showed up, it was, it was fire and thunder and lightning. We have to have that awe and that respect. Now, there's a balance to it. Because we also saw God in Jesus, who's comforting, who's caring, who's closer than a brother. Uh, and so it is appropriate for us to talk normally. But let's keep in mind that we're talking with God and respect that. Um, I want to give room for this to be applied in different ways for different people. But wrestle with this one with God. Are there any practices that you currently have in your own life that perhaps is shrinking God, making him fit your life better and, and give you a little bit more control? Uh, third one, no misuse of God's name. Um, I don't think we can use God's name in cursing. If we're going to say, oh my God, or Jesus Christ, I think we need to be careful because we're not actually meaning Jesus Christ. If you say it out of expression of surprise or something, you know, and or, oh my God, you know, that, that a lot of people say, well, no, no, you're not actually talking about God. Uh, perhaps, we, I mean, this would fall into the last category, right? If we just use his name casually like this, we're, we're making him smaller. 
And what kind of thing? Like, it doesn't really matter. You know, he's just kind of, that's just something you say when you stub your toe, you know? No, no, no. This is, this is God. This is the person that we, our, our identity is for, right? Who's, who's restoring the world. So we definitely have to watch our words. But I think it goes beyond that, right? Anything that we're going to call Christian, well, let's make sure it's actually reflecting Christian principles, not just encouraging or positive. Uh, if we're going to call ourselves Christian, Man, you better line your life up with what God says. Because if you're saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, and then you're living a certain way, man, it's like the Israelites. You're going to ruin the whole purpose. God's partnering with you to bring the world back to restore restoration in the garden. And they won't know who God is if we're out here running, doing whatever we want, not honoring God with our lives, but still wearing the badge. That's a misuse of his name. If, if there's any use of his name where it's empty, worthless, right? Where there's not the significance attached to it. Ah, we got to cut that off. Anytime we say, well, God said, God wants, God desires, this is God's will. Just be real slow. We're talking about God here. And if it's my understanding, right? When I'm preaching, well, here's what God says. I better be very careful because I can't misuse God's name and stamp something. This is God's. When God says no, he says the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So if you're ready to say God said this, just be ready to stand not guiltless before God, right? <laughs> Last one, Sabbath day. Big question. All right, do we have to practice the Sabbath? Yeah, the Christians are divided on this, right? Uh, what, what do we have to do? Before we jump into that question, just, just listen to what this means or, or step, step back and kind of look, you know, I knocked something over last time I did that. Uh, you know, step back and try to see the full picture. What God is commanding is that the Israelites would use their time in a certain way. Just recognize, do you give God the authority to tell you how to use your time? And not just one day. I mean, this goes through all your time. I think we're generally getting there. We had that series on money about, okay, God has the authority to tell me what to do with my money. What about your time, Right? That, that, can I do this? Can I go there? Can I spend my time in this way? Can I take this break? All those things God cares about. Also, God is commanding a spiritual practice. Now, I know we all have different upbringings with what church kind of tradition we had. Uh, some were very spiritual discipline focused. I mean, you know, like praying, reading your Bible, uh, fasting, giving to the poor, uh, practicing silence, uh, there's all sorts of, you know, kind of think about like monks, you know, they're, they're spiritually disciplined. They go through whatever their religious things are every day. Well, here's God commanding them to do a regular practice, a spiritual discipline as a command, right? I think I was grown up with spiritual disciplines are kind of good. If you need like a little spiritual power up, you can go ahead and do one, you know, and, and here we have God saying, no, 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 you will do this because you, you can't forget this. Can't forget who you are, where I took you from, where I'm taking you. Just be willing to allow God to say, I want you to do this practice. And that one might be different for us too. I want you to start fasting regularly. I want you to set aside a time to pray to me. A space. What, what if it's not even daily? What if, it's, what if it's weekly, monthly, yearly? I don't know. But it's a regular practice. Why? Because this is important and this is who you are. This is what our relationship will be where you don't allow yourself to think less. If you just get to dictate your whole time and put God wherever you want to, perhaps you will start thinking less of him. But if you have a regular practice that constantly reminds you, no, God is the most important thing in my life. 
No, I do need him every single day. No, I want to know more about him. I want to be close to him in prayer. Okay, then you need to do a practice. Otherwise, you're going to forget and you're going to make him smaller in your life. So should we or should we not practice Sabbath? I'd say yes. I think we need to practice Sabbath in some way, in some way. Maybe it's not the same way that they used to. But I think for the very reasons that they're saying, remembering who we were, what God has done for us, where God is going, it is a good practice and I think a godly practice to have a regular time aspect. I was going to say practice again, but I've said it like eight times. <laughs> you know, some sort of habit, you know, that we're doing a spiritual discipline to remind us who God is in our life. Uh, that would be uh, healthy and good and not just a product of tradition and religion trying to want to co- uh, control your life. No, this is how our relationship with God is supposed to work. So there you have it. There's plenty more. Uh, we're going to take time to discuss at the end like we always do. Um, but these four commands are dictating not what we have to do, not a checklist for us to follow, but rather it, it's describing almost poetically what our relationship with God should be. God is great. He's awesome. He is holy. There is none like him. He's the only one worthy of our praise. He's the only one worthy of giving our lives to. Make sure there's nothing in our life that is making many smaller than that. I think there's a great temptation in our culture to just fit God into our pocket, into our schedules, into our days that work for us. Oh, I kind of like him here. Great. He'll go there. No, 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 no. That's not our God. You're making something else. You're making an idol and you're calling it God. Nope, you just missed two out of the three of them. The relationship we're supposed to have with God is one that, that honors him as God and roots out those practices, even inadvertent practices that we have that are allowing us to think less of him because we want to praise him for who he is, awesome and mighty and praiseworthy. Would you pray with me this morning? God, thank you for your revelation. Thank you for your Ten Commandments. Thank you for this covenant that you made with these people, and thank you for writing it down for us. Uh, Thank you for the stories that we have to to reveal who you are. And Lord, we hear that you are great, that you are worthy of our praise, that you don't have room for any rivals, that you won't tolerate us, giving you any lesser position than the king of our hearts, the throne. Uh, Lord, I ask that you would show us those areas, especially when it comes to our own spiritual practices and worship, where we're, we're allowing ourselves to think less of you. I pray that you'd convict us um, and even give us ideas here, even as we discuss, of how we might add practices or remove practices in order that we might keep you in your proper place as our king, as the almighty God, uh, the only one that we worship, the only one worthy of worship. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your promise to be with us. We thank you that even though you're so magnificent and holy, you choose to be with us and you make a way that we can be with you. We thank you. We love you. We're so excited for you to take us back to the garden. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. All right, we've got questions for you. circle up around these little tables and talk. Uh, My rule is you've got to at least be with someone else that you didn't come here with. So even if you brought a big family, go pull someone else in uh, so we we can practice discussing. First, have you ever heard any memorable wedding vows? Story time. Share your best ones. Two, 
What practices allow you to think less of God? This is be critical. Be critical of yourself. What are the things that you do that perhaps are allowing you to shrink God and be more comfortable with a smaller God? And then lastly, how can you practice Sabbath in your world? Uh, and, and, and give, here, here's the thing, when we do discussion, uh, some of you have strong convictions, some of you have no clue what the right answers are. Practice listening and sharing. We want to be able to grow together and encourage and perhaps even share ideas that someone else hasn't thought of, uh, but we also don't want it to be judgmental. So be very considerate how you are listening to other people and gentle for how you're instructing and sharing with them. Uh, this is our chance to practice living beyond ourselves and loving each other. All right, so go ahead and take 10 minutes and I'll come up and I'll dismiss us.